This message by Rob Glover was recorded at the Relational Mission Church Planting Conference 2015 in Berkel, the Netherlands. I mean, I think the interesting thing for me, thanks, thanks for sharing that, um, really is that um, anybody knows me, I don't hold much value to money. Um, so, you know, um, I've never been a money, someone who's gone after money. And it's interesting that God's, God has given me millions of pounds over uh, the last few years. So um, I think, you know, the first thing is really is knowing what your calling is, because that's your authority that God has given you. And when you know your calling, then you can step into that vision-based budget. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's uh, always been about uh, not really talking about the money, but talking about the end result, the passion. You know, if you're passionate about what you do and how you do it, then people catch the vision. And I think if it's strategic, I think that's really important. One of the things that, you know, we want to be is strategic. So when we go to a nation, we're working with a government. You know, we're not working with tens or twenty children. We're, we're dealing with a whole nation, a generation of children. And so it becomes strategic. And what I've found is as I've gone around the world is, um, they either, people either catch it or they don't. And you know pretty early on they're going to catch your vision. If they catch what you're doing, you know, there is an intensity of wanting to know more and more. Um, those who can't get the vision, switch off very quickly. And, you know, you can tip them upside down and shake them and you might get a few pennies out, but, you know, in the long run, you, you know, you're wasting your time. So, uh, yeah, I found if you're strategic, you're looking at sustainability and you're looking at something that's going to be transformational of people's lives. So what we're dealing with is children and what we're dealing with is transforming their lives. These are children for some reason that have ended up in orphanages, institutions and that we know that God is a simple message. God created the family for children. So we place them in a family, bingo, we see transformed lives. And so the people when I've been around, you know, um, when I, so when I first went to China, uh, I think a lot of the things that have been spoken to the last few days are very relevant. You know, I love when Steph says, just do as you're told. I love that. I think that is really good. And I think there's an element of us all that feels that as well. It's, there's something clean about that. Just do as you're told. If God says something, do as you're told. And uh, we had the prophetic on our life. We knew for sure that God had called us for China. Um... For those who don't know, I'll just tell you very quickly, I had three prophetic words, all of which I thought were rather strange. Um, the first one, uh, we were in the church and uh, Dave Devonish had come to this church. I'd never met Dave Devonish. And uh, someone told me that he'd got um, you know, a prophetic gifting. And uh, to be honest, I didn't want him really speaking about my life, so I was sitting at the back of the church. Um, and of course he came straight through and he prayed and he just said I sense um, God is saying you're going to be father to as many children as there are stars in the sky and I thought what a bampot you know that is crazy you know it's impossible and uh, so it almost got lodged into my subconscious you know it was there but it wasn't and I kind of moved on with it and uh, it was in 1996 at Stonely Bible Week I was doing youth work and uh, 
Pete Brook, anybody knows Pete Brook, an Australian guy, he came, and again, I didn't know who Pete Brook was, he came and he, he, uh, he prayed with me and he just said, I just sense God saying that you're going to be in an earthquake within the year, and when you're there, it's where God wants you to be. And uh, again, you know, I met my pastor and we had a burger together and I said, there's this crazy Australian, he told me you're going to be in an earthquake, he doesn't realise we don't have earthquakes in Britain, you know. And of course, uh, six months later, I found myself preparing to go to China. And I always had a passion for China. A lot of most people in England want to know what's going on in America, but my passion was China. And um, uh, interestingly, this is a this is a quite an interesting dynamic. I always said if I wrote a book, I I call it. I went to China with five pound in my pocket on the front page. I literally. Um, Elizabeth said we'd got uh, six children and I'd paid all the bills and I'd made sure they were right and she'd given me permission to go to China which I didn't think I'd do till I was probably this age and uh, uh, all I had left was five pound and I went in faith for that five pound but on the inside of the cover I'll write and a millionaire because the guy who went with me was, was a millionaire <laughs> so I was kind of a bit in his uh, um, we uh, um, just before we left the church prayed for us and a little girl had a picture and she had a picture of us taking an Olympic torch into China and that this Olympic torch would light other torches all over China off we went and uh, uh, we flew into Shanghai and there was lots of Chinese people there buzzing around <laughs> just masses you know when I say lots multitudes but you really start to understand what multitude means and uh, my friend was a cider brewer, he brewed cider and uh, um, he made his money out of that and he'd sold out, I think Bulmers and Geimers went into price war and they, they bought him out for 34 million pounds so off we went and uh, as we got in the airport this lady came she gave us two tickets to the Special Olympic Games and my friend said no, 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 we don't want to do that and I said yeah, we should go, remember the girls said we would take the Olympic torch and so we took these two tickets and uh, they were numbered and we sat down and we were introduced to the people and my friend sat next to the chairman of Foster's Lager from Australia so he was having a great, he was having a great time talking about brewing cider and brewing lager and they were going, I got sat next to senior member of the Communist Party <laughs> uh, and this guy was a little bit stiff and so um, I was uh, being, I was 007 Christian, you know, because we knew that China didn't like Christians and uh, so I was keeping stum, you know, and he was talking to me and telling me all about the history of China and uh, the Cultural Revolution, how he taught English and when when uh, the Cultural Revolution, when Mao came into power, he had to speak, uh, teach Russian literally overnight and um, anyway, the, the ceremony sort of came to the end and he said, but, you know, all the work I do for the children, I do for my father, looking up. And I thought, oh, he's trying to catch me out, you know, and now I'll keep quiet, you see. And he kept talking about how he was raised in a mission school, and then he started talking about scripture. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but I started, to, my heart started to flutter. And before I could control myself, I told him I was a Christian, and I'd come with a heart to serve. And so we all started to move and go different places and he said 
which hotel as we were leaving which hotel are you staying in so I told him and he said I'll pick you up tomorrow morning 8 o'clock <laughs> so we're going out this dark tunnel and James has you know, had a great time with Mr Foster's and he says you're looking a bit worried Rob and I said yeah I'm not sure if I've done the right thing but uh, you know that m- chap who was a senior member of the communist party I've told him we're Christians and he's picking us up at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning <laughs> uh, now as it happened that wasn't the case and we went into a meeting and it was a phenomenal meeting We had a, it was really good good time and there were people from Save the Children there and UNICEF and you know they were being a little bit you know wagging their fingers and telling them off for things and I was really just enjoying the food and the company and uh, and the drink the Qingdao beer was really quite nice and uh, so at the end of it um, I didn't know at the time but the senior guy said get rid of UNICEF and save the children get Robert to come back um, for, for, for an evening meal um, which we did and we discussed things and, and I was just saying look there's an alternative you know, children do well with families. And, you know, China has a rich heritage of nuclear and extended families. And so it, it wasn't hard to persuade. Well, we went back to the hotel and we got consumed into this wedding, this Chinese wedding. And before we knew it, we were in there uh, giving toasts and speeches. And we were just part of this whole wedding that was going on. At the end of this, we were exhausted. And so went up to our room and you know, in a Chinese hotel on a sort of 18th floor. And I was watching football on TV and uh, my friend was reading a book and he said, are you shaking my bed? And I said, no, cer- no, certainly not. And, and we noticed the curtains were moving and things. And so a bit like Laura and Hardy, we were scratching our heads, looking out, lots of people running around. I said, I'll go and find that lady because they have ladies on the floor. And I went out to find her and everybody gone, all the doors are open. And as I stood in that door frame, I remember that Australian voice, within this year you'll be in an earthquake, that's where God wants you to be. Um, it was 6.4 on the Richter scale. So I knew that God wanted me to be in Shanghai. And that, that was pretty mind-blowing. The, the funny thing we always laugh about, when I came back to England, in the newspaper, the same day, England had had an earthquake in Cornwall, but it was about 2.3. <laughs> And I think God was having a laugh. And uh, So we went backwards and forwards for a couple of years. And in 1997, I went to sign a contractor that I would go from the British government to the Chinese government as a consultant to the Shanghai government. And uh, we would do a three-year project in Shanghai. Um, now, I was a little bit worried about this because my heart was... I thought I was going to give up all my work and going to work with the house church and stuff. And But God had put me into the top tier of the government and working in a consultancy area like, uh, with that. Anyway, we had this meal to sign the contract and they decided they were going to give me a Chinese name and they went round and round and round and eventually um, one guy stood up and he said, you need to have a Chinese name because you have a seal so you can put a chop on, on the paper when you write something and we know who you are. And so we want to tell you what your name means because it's important in Chinese. And he said, your name means as many stars there are in the sky, you'll be father to children in China. So we, it was unquestionable. You know, God had called us to China. And uh, many years later, the whole um, Olympic bit came into place as well, where I went with the government when they won the, the, their bid for the Olympics in 2008. So that, that sort of continued through. But... Um, um, 
what I wanted to do, and maybe, I don't know, Elizabeth, if you've got your Bible there, we could just read together the dry bones, because I think this, for me, is, uh, it's in Ezekiel 37. And Elizabeth's much better at reading than I, so maybe 1 to 14. And, and this is really speaks to me about this whole bit that God prepared us before we went to China. That, you know, what, there's no point being 98% Christian. There's no point being 45%. It's 100% or nothing. Yeah. Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me into the Nineveh Valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. And I think that's really precious to me because what it is saying is really, you know, we get in that dry place. And we get in those places where we think this is impossible. And I've been there, you know, um, with finances as well. You know, you get to the 11th hour and you think, well, come on God, you need to show up now because we can't do it in our strength. And I think this is a great story for us in the, for us in that position that, you know, it, it was just dry bones on the floor. And God asked that question, you know, could they, can they live? And only you know God. And, 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 you know, just what we've been hearing the last couple of days about not being able to do anything in our own strength, just, just really relying upon God. And I think that's, you know, a great story, a great situation where, you know, when the breath, the ruah of God comes in, suddenly there's this army that rises up. And uh, I think sometimes I love to just go back to that in time, those times when we have the dry bones, whether it be your church or yourself or your marriage, um, you know, your, your, your work, uh, your finances, 
It's a great, great story just to go back and reflect and go through it all and just see how God just brought that, that whole army together from a, just dead bones in the, in the, in the, in the dirt. So just to, just to say again, you know, I think the really important thing, our calling is authority because it comes from God. And you know when God gives you that calling, you've got to be sure that God's calling, that you can then move into that vision-based budget. And it's something that I've learned over time that, you know, set the vision. And because, you know, I get times where we run out of money and my staff say, you know, we run out of money. I say, well, why are you telling me? And well, it's your vision. That's not my vision. Well, it's the trustee's vision. No, it's not the trustee's vision. Whose vision is it? And, and they have to say God. And it's a great time of not only testing your own faith, but taking people with you in the faith just to keep asking that question, well, whose vision is it? Let's be sure about whose vision this is. Because I don't want to be in it if it's not God's vision. <laughs> you know, if, it's, if God's not in this, I'm not going to China. I'm not going to North Korea, you know. Um, I'll tell you a story about North Korea in a minute. But um, it really is important to know that God is calling you. And, and, you know, one of the things I was just talking downstairs is that we've got the opportunity to work in... We've had well, we had nine governments approach us to go and work in their countries. And we've sort of narrowed it down to four, but I think we can probably only do one. And But I want to be, I'm not going to go anywhere until God tells me which one to go. You know, because you know, we, can, we can get puffed up about those sort of things. And I shared a bit with some people about India very early on. We were in China and uh, I got a telephone call from New Delhi and uh, this this Indian guy says, "Oh, Mr. Glover, when are you coming to New Delhi?" You know, and I'm I thinking, "Who is this guy? You know, why is he ringing me?" And I'm saying, "Well, I'm not, you know." And he said, "No, no, you must be coming to New Delhi." And so I said, "Well, you know, I have no plans, and I don't know who you are." And he said, "Oh, be waiting there." And he ran, you could hear him running off, and you could hear click, 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 and some, this lady came on the phone. She said, uh, Mr. Glover, when are you coming to New Delhi? And I said, well, who's speaking? She said, my name is Maneka Gandhi and I'm the Minister of Social Justice and we want you here in New Delhi. And so we'd only been in China two or three years and I'm thinking, wow, God's calling me to India. You know, China and India, that's half the world. And I'm getting really puffed up, you know. I'm thinking, this is half the world's population, you know. And uh, anyway, so I decided that uh, I'm going to go to New Delhi. And um, I went, I, I don't know where I went, I went via somewhere um, and I got sick and I, I didn't feel really very good at all. And I got to, I don't know, I got to India and I felt very oppressed and very dark and I didn't feel good at all. And, and um, they'd arranged for me to stay in the sheriff of Bombay, his house in New Delhi. Uh, he was a Christian that runs Christian schools and this was a big old house. I mean, the bedroom was the size of this room with a big bed in the middle. And there were, uh, I came in a gated community and there were dogs barking and it was at night that I came in and I, I went to bed and uh, I'd been asleep about two hours and I sat up bolt. There was something in my room. And I'd never had it before and I'd never had it since, but it was just pure fear. You know, it's when you get the, the hairs on the back of your head going prickling and yeah, oh, what is this in my room? And all I could do was just play the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus until it went. And I had the most awful time 
in India. I was right. <laughs> they took me to Mumbai, and I saw these people dying on the streets, and I was just crying. I was crying for five days because it was desperate. You couldn't do anything about it. And I remember coming home from India, and 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 feeling like this was a disaster. And I just remember hearing God gently saying, "Well, I didn't call it India." get back to China <laughs> and I think sometimes we you know that that's the kind of message for us when we're not in the place where God wants us to be it, it is really important um, powerful people in the hands of God so one of the the other stories when in the early days um, and I think this is something about being who you are rather than trying to be someone else we heard about you know talking about and being sure of who you are in Jesus and your calling. So um, I, one of these trips going backwards and forwards to China, I was in Guernsey, back at my office, and I'd just come back from China, and the ambassador from China had rang me and said, can you come to over to London? And I said, no, 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 no. You know, I've just been to China. I've spent a lot of money, and um, there's, there's you know, no possible way. And No, no, we really think you should come to London. Someone would like to meet you. And I said okay, well, who is it? And uh, he said, Richard Branson. I thought, oh, right. So I rang my friend up, who was a millionaire. I said, have you ever met Richard Branson? He said, no, would you like to? Yes, well, you pay for the flights and we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> so James and I went off to London and uh, with the ambassador from China. And uh, this is before the project started in China. And so we sat in his... Uh, uh, he's got a house in Holland Park that is, um, he, he has like an office, but it's a house with settees and you kind of lie back. And he'd just been to, you know, come back on holiday and it was really relaxed. And um, it's one of those times when you're talking about, you know, your vision and what you're doing and being passionate, but you can see he's kind of half in and half out thinking of other things and what's going on in his business world. And um, sort of it came to an end and it was all the pleasantries and we were just about to walk out the door and he was running up the stairs and he stopped and he said, Robert, I'm going to do it. We'll do it. I'll support you. If you go, we'll support you. See, So we walked out the door and the ambassador said, wow, that was good. And James said, no, nah, it's God just providing me his transport manager. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and again, you know, it was a whole experience of just relating one person to another. You know, he, he was, you know, no different than me. Well, he actually, he... he he needed, you know, he needed to hear the gospel and we were able to share the gospel with him. He, he, he was very close to coming to Stonely a couple of times, um, but uh, always just edged out. Um, one year his number two committed suicide and, you know, he was in quite a bad state. And so it was a time that friendship could, could work, you know, work on some of those issues. So, you know, I think the, the important thing is whenever we, I've gone around and met people with money, is to treat them as a person and not treat them for them, you know, who or what they have. And, uh, and I think that's been a really important, uh, you know, experience for us. I always remember being with a very wealthy couple, American couple, and spending, having lunch, and just talking about, you know, being passionate about what had happened and, you know, these children and what difference it makes. And, you know, it, it is transformational. And, uh, at the end, the woman just said to me, do you know, I've never been in a lunch meeting for two hours with someone who runs a charity who hasn't asked me for any money. Why haven't you asked for money? 
And I said, well, that's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. I can tell you what, you know, my passion is. I can tell you my vision. At the end of the day, it's your responsibility if you want to get behind it or not. And I think that was a very important lesson early on. I don't think I've ever asked anybody for money. And I probably raised something like 30 to 40 million pounds in the last... But it's for the cause, for the vision. So it's about sowing the, sowing the vision, not... not uh, not focusing on the money um, I think the other thing Jackie some of you know Jackie Pullinger we, we got to know Jackie quite well by being in China and when John died her husband he came, she came to stay with us and uh, she really you know helped us look at and have eyes for the poor uh, and minister to the poor and she said something to me that was pretty profound once she said you know when you minister to the poor the rich will be attracted to what you do. And I think that's really, really important. And I don't understand why any church does not minister to the poor. Because, you know, that's the, if you want to be honest, that's the secret. The gospel is good news to the poor. But actually, when you minister to the poor, the rich really want, they, they, it's, it's, they just can't help themselves. And so, in all our time, you know, wherever we've ministered to the poor, um, that has been a huge attraction to those who, who don't. I always remember the first time uh, when, when our money ran out, and this is a quite an interesting lesson. Um, so the British government funded the first three years. Interestingly, we had to be there on the 21st of September. The Chinese government wanted us there on the 21st of September. The money hadn't come through. And uh, actually, New Frontiers didn't want us to go. It took a lot of talking and debating. And in the end, I think the last week we were released to go, I was determined. You know, we had signed a contract to go on the 21st of September. God had told us to go. You know, there were people, you can imagine, here Elizabeth and I were six children. We were pretty unprepared, pretty normal, ordinary church folk. And everybody was kind of like, you know, do we, don't we, do, you know? One minute it was on, one minute it was off. And, you know, and I just said, I don't care what you think because I'm going. You know, we are going. And, you know, maybe over time I've had to, you know, repent of that attitude. And, but I think it, the call was so strong. I was so sure that God wanted us there. And so we arrived there on in the 21st of September and soon found out if we hadn't, and we went without the money, so we lived with with very little. The money came afterwards. But if we hadn't gone in faith, there was another American organisation that would have, that was not Christian that would have uh, taken our place. So they had a substitute organisation ready to go. Again, huge lesson. You know, sometimes all the elements are not there, and you've got to go in faith. And there was there's a whole bunch of stuff like that that we weren't prepared, but. We were, we were prepared to go. So I think, um, that, that for our, us was really important that, uh, we got there. And then as that project in Shanghai came to an end, the British government money dried up. They said, we've done the seed funding. Um, I think they put in about 600,000 pounds. The project was successful. It came out as one of the best projects, um, certainly in Asia, maybe in the world. The Chinese were very good at doing family placement. Um, so it came out 
Um, very good. And then, the, but the British government felt they put their money in and they weren't going any further. And so the immediate thing is to panic. You know, we don't have any money. We, 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 the government money has dried up. We got a few donations that had come in. And so I sat, you know, in, in my office and um, the trustees were saying, well, that's it, that's the end. And I was sure that it wasn't the end, that we, there was something beyond Shanghai. I, I just felt in my spirit that we needed to to continue to pray. And then one day I was in in the office in Shanghai and these three guys came from Singapore. And they came into my office and they said, uh, we've come from Singapore to pray for you. I said, well, you're on business. Said, no, no, we've just come to pray for you. And I said, no, 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 it must be something else. You're, you're, you're having a whole, you know, you don't just... No, we've just come from Singapore to pray for you. So I said, well, you better get on and pray then. And uh, they prayed. And one of them had this picture. And he had a picture of an oak tree. And the roots had gone down. Um, but the water had dried up to the tree. And yet when you looked across, there was a lake across this side to the left. Big lake. And he said, basically, you've got to dig a channel from the, the tree to the lake to feed the roots because the leaves are starting to go brown on the tree and you know I knew what that was straight away you know we'd we'd planted this this foundation the roots had gone down this Shanghai project the kids were being transformed they were in the families I knew it needed to go further but we didn't have the money to resource it yet there was this channel so all I needed to know was where this channel went and uh, about two three days later a lady from Hong Kong that spoke very good English who lived in America that came into my office. She said, I represent uh, five Christian foundations, family foundations in America. Would you be happy to go over to America? And I thought the pond and, you know, and I just knew, you know, it was, it was what I had to do. And I'd never been to America. That was my first ever time. So I agreed to go. I was told that the first one um, the chap was as a real bully boy and he will give you a hard time and he's like the godfather of all these Christian foundations if you get through him you get through everything so I was ready for him you know I was really up for this guy um, and so I flew into Washington and changed planes and ended up in a place called Chattanooga in Tennessee and I'm in this place thinking this is America you know this is not the images of America Chattanooga, Tennessee, a small town, uh, uh, USA. And so I go into this boardroom and it's pretty plush and these guys are all in suits and in this boardroom. And uh, Liz and I had done some pretty radical things in Shanghai. Anyway, we got talking to, to them and they wanted us to share the vision. I was sharing the vision and being very passionate about why children. And, and you know, they were telling me, well, which we only give to evangelistic um, organizations, we only give to church planting, you know, all the things you guys would probably tick, but none of the things I would tick, you know, and I was thinking, I'm batting against the, the grain here, and uh, and then, you know, someone said well, what do you do, you know, when you're not working, and so I said, well Elizabeth and I have a real heart for the poor and so Liz will often bring home people into our house and we'll have uh, mums and children, and we'll, we, we just want to give them clothes and uh, give them a wash, clothes, feed them, and sometimes give them some extras. And 
that helps to give their dignity back and quite often 24 hours they want to go back out and that's fine and this guy really went for me and he said where's your vision boy one minute you're talking about these orphanages now you're talking about the poor and I was ready for him and I said uh, well look you know care for children is doing this ministry of taking children from institutions into families but Elizabeth and I personally believe um, you know if Jesus was here we couldn't walk past people on the street that didn't you know were in those places and all the other guys were going yeah 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 and this guy came around very quickly and you know he took me out for lunch and we became really good friends but it was again a lesson that you really got to stand on your principles even when people want to attack you and say that's wrong or that's not right it's just being sure of that call that God's given you being absolutely passionate about what you do and how you do it and then being passionate about what the scripture says and what you know Jesus would do so I think that was that was very 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 important I think along the lines we made lots of mistakes and uh, I, I'll share a story about a couple of them but um what, I, what I'm trying to do is to go through the different levels of planting because I think also I wanted to, to tune in a bit to, to some of you guys in church planting. And I think, you know, I've, I, I, I've had the privilege, I suppose, in being able to travel around the world is to keep my ear to the ground of what's going on. And, and so I spend a lot of time now with house churches in China. Um, I've spoken at um, the two house church network leaders meetings where they had about 2,000 network leaders and, and I've had the, built some relationships with some of the key overseers um, and just so seeing what's happening in China and then in America being able to go to some of the churches there we've got a relationship with Gateway Church in, in Dallas we've got a relationship with Life Church in Oklahoma which is like 65,000 people and like how do you do that you know um, and then we know other smaller churches, Andy Stanley Church, we, we've got a relationship. So you start to pick up some of the, the vibes. And um, I got told off by Elizabeth, we were in New York and we met with Tim Keller. And I, 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 he asked us to pray for him, so I prayed that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> Elizabeth told me off when I came out. But, um, I <laughs> um, so just going back on those planting things I think you know calling you know is your authority because it's from God vision based budget so you you buy into a vision based budget when you know what your calling is um, be sure your vision is God and then act boldly with faith um, with a ra- radical relationship with Jesus I think that they're, they're really key powerful people in the hands of God powerful people in the hands of God when we we know our call we, we're moving out in faith we become powerful people in the hands of God father to the fatherless oh I think that's really you know it's, it's a spiritual dynamic we were all once orphans God adopted us into his family therefore we should be champions for the orphan every church pastor should be a champion for, should have his church being a champion for the orphan you know there will be spiritual orphans there will be real orphans and, and we just need to recognise that and it's a, it's a godly God is so passionate about the orphan never ask, share the vision and then it's their responsibility so there's a lot of the um, early stuff um, in, in planting I think the, the other thing is then as you get through your vision sometimes it's the evidence as well people, once they see the vision and they see the evidence so an example of that was in China 
we were placing these children into families, some of the orphanage directors were some of the nastiest people in China. Uh, the way I look at, the way I view China is uh, that 90% of the people that salt the earth are really are good, nice people. I'm probably talking about every country actually now. The 2% at the top are they're educated, uh, they understand how the world works. So there's only a small percentage at the top, but they're the movers and shakers, and they can make a difference in the nation. The 8% in the middle are the Rottweilers. They're the nasty guys that press down. And so when you hear about the persecution in China, it's probably because most people went from grassroots up. They came through the 90% and hit one of those 8%. The interesting thing that I had is by going in to the 2%, they were able to get rid of that 8% and we were able to work through into <coughs> to the rest of China but some, I did come across some of these people and I think some of the, the, the fondest memories were seeing some of these guys who'd failed in China as, as, as government officials and were running orphanages they were tough hardened guys You know, their fingers were yellow from smoking and you know, they, they drunk this Baijiu stuff which is pretty lethal you know, the, the rice wine and, and so they were really good at that and they would like to try and get you drunk and, and then further down the road seeing some of these guys go out and see the children with their mothers these children that lay on the floor in an orphanage that couldn't move you know, they had cerebral palsy maybe and they had no stimulation they had no nurture no love, nothing and then to see that child transformed and the nurture and the attachment with its mother and see the tears come down that government official's eyes and it's just broken, doesn't know why how that child got there and that for me was some of the most heartwarming things and seeing some of those guys you know, find out about who Jesus was was, was really good I once went to Baotou on the train and was with a quite senior government official and uh, you know, on the train, you you tend to play cards and eat peanuts and drink tea. And uh, he was joking with me and saying, uh, you know, the, you know, no, there's no Christians up in Bauta. And I said, that's all right. They knew I was a Christian. And they said, yeah, but you know, Robert, we need to. You need to know. You know, we're going up. They're all Taoist, Buddhist, Muslim. They're all, but they're no Christians. So I said, fine. You know, we, you know, I, God's put in my heart that children should be in families. You know. And we got up to this place and a car picked us up and we went for a government dinner and then they brought the first 30 families in. And so this, this hotshot government official, was he, he made a joke on me and he said, my big English friend, he's a Christian. And I didn't quite catch the joke, but it kind of went over everybody. So he, he said the joke again, you know, that you know, this, this, this Englishman, he's a, he believes in Jesus or something. And then one lady on the end of the put her hand. She said, "I believe in Jesus." And then the next one, and then the next one. And then all thirty were Christian. So on the way home, he's like, on the train, there's no card plan. He's like, "What's going on?" You know. I said, "Well, it's, this is who we are. This is part of our gospel message. This is what we do. You know, this is what Christian." So then he commissioned some research in in five provinces. <coughs> and found out that 80% of the people that were taking the children were Christians. And so the government started to then start to really start to think about this, you know. 
this is something we can't ignore and I'll tell you a little bit where we are up to date now um, I think the important thing is always give God the glory in everything we do because you know we start from that base we can't do any of it really it's all God and I think it's the obedience that we walk into and, and some of those foundations that I worked with for about 10 years now in the early days I didn't fit their mandate they wanted if, you know evangelists so they used to ask me are you evangelising people in Charleston no are you evangelising the families no well, are you putting them in Christian families then no <laughs> I had to be honest you know uh, yeah, I was just who I was and what God had told me to do and you know, I come home to a New Frontiers meeting and what are you doing again are you planting a church in China no <laughs> no one really kind of understood what was going on and, and, and I think really all I would say in that situation is sometimes God gives you a piece of the jigsaw puzzle and he doesn't want you to do the whole jigsaw he wants you to do your piece and, and he says here's the piece and when it comes up you put that bit in and it allows him then to, to do the puzzle and, and over time I started to work with these foundations the Christian foundations to the point now where they've all rewritten their mandate on about how they give and who they should give to yes they still want church planting and they still want evangelists but they also recognise there's a kingdom and that you can build through a kingdom and sometimes if God has called someone to do a piece of the jigsaw puzzle then it's as important to get behind that bit as, as the rest and uh, so I think that was that was a, quite a journey for me that was a bit of a wilderness for me you know in financial terms because here I was working with a group of people that I didn't fit into in the end they ended up fitting into what I did rather than the other way around and that came from them experiencing and seeing what happened I think transparency and integrity really important I've always felt you know as an organisation when we went to China uh, culturally I wanted to know who and what they were so in China the most important thing is face they must they can't lose face they, they can't be embarrassed so I recognised that very early on and so my deal with them was oh, we will never show bad pictures about children we will never dishonour you we will never complain about the government we will always lift you up and this will be these are your children they're your project and we want to make you successful but here's the deal British culture is all about integrity and honesty so we have to account for every penny we spend every penny every penny they got the deal and, it, and it's worked the 17 years we work we never dishonour them they always protect our money and make sure there's integrity and honesty that happens between and that's a cultural mutually accepted arrangement I've talked about being strategic and sustainable you know people want to see that sustainability so for us we're strategic because we work with the government we got the government approval but we work on the grassroots level we train the local people so we will only work with them for three to five years then we hand over their pro the project to them that's sustainability people are going to invest into something they want to invest into the kingdom but they don't want to be doing it for the next 40 years you know, show us how we can help you show us how we can capacity build to you 
and, and, and that, uh, you know, uh, someone who's got money and knows how to do business plans and work businesses to work are always looking for that. They're always lo- working to look at the strategy that you're working on. And I think that's really cool. And then the outcomes, knowing what the outcomes. People want to see the outcomes. What are the outcomes? The key, which, the new words, the KPI, key performance indicators. We, you know, I've moved into that world, unfortunately. And the monitoring and all that stuff. I have one person in my organization that does all that stuff for me. So she tracks the money in and sees where it goes and then tracks it all back and tells the stories to the people who invested. So we tell people we, the five eyes, we want people to be with us who have ideas. And I think this is great because it doesn't focus just on money. Rich people don't always want to be tapped up for money. So we say we want people with ideas, we want people with influence, people who are intercessors, and then people who invest. I don't know what the fifth one is. Four, is it? Four, yeah. So ideas, influencers, intercessors, and investment. And we talk about investment because it's not us, it's they're investing in children's lives. They're investing for the kingdom. This is an investment long term and I think that's important as well that people want to see that there is uh, you know there's value there's 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 high return for their for their investment um, so I think that's really important wealthy people often want to live your dream and they just aren't able to do it because they're so busy so we have some people in um, Kansas City we're great friends with them they're billionaires and they just say we can't do this we would love to do what you're doing, but we, we we're, we're at the other end, so we want to run your we want to we want to run that dream with you. And so, when the money dries up, we write the check. That's good. To, that's always always good to have one of those, just in the background there. Just we're all that's the flesh. <laughs> you know, we know God always writes the check, but you know, just hearing that sometimes just keeps you on the steady. So wealthy people always want to to live your vision, live your dream um, with you. But it's not ours, it's God's. So we're, we're doing it with him together. And then I think the, the other bit I wanted to talk about is growing, because I think you get through that first bit and then you start to grow. And uh, I think that's really important. And, you know, for me, something that's come up, and I get very passionate about it, the church is about the the whole different model of church. And so I go to America and I hear this big corporate church and I hear this chairmans and CEOs and I think, where's that, you know? Um, so um, I think, you know, I once read this whole thing about, you know, biblically we're a family, church is family, and the, you know, the pastor is the father. And this whole bit about, you know, you can quickly move into buildings and you could quickly then move into kind of corporate roles and responsibilities. And then the question is asked, well, if you actually have that role, you know, when someone in the family or someone in the organisation is actually doing something detrimental to everybody else, what happens in a company is the CEO fires that person. But I think in a church, what the father does, you know, if someone messes up in our family or in my family... We want to restore them. You know, we'll go to the other end of the world to bring our child back and restore them if they mess up. And I think that's kind of the challenge that you start to move in with churches.
you know, we've been involved with two leadership, two churches. The first one was in Shanghai. Um, it was it was an international Shanghai International Church, and we we Liz and I never in our wildest dream. I mean, we've been part of New Frontiers probably for ten years. Yeah. Okay, well, six years. And you don't think you're qualified. Really don't think you're qualified until we arrive in this church and we're thinking, this is weird. You know, they've got a committee and a chairman and all this stuff. And, you know, and so you ask questions and I don't know how it quite happened, but you end up on the eldership team, you know. And, and then you kind of look around at the eldership team and find six of the elders are not baptized. And, you know, what is going on? And so you end up, you're starting to dig up the whole foundations and look at, you know, what is this thing? And, and, and it came to a point where I sat down with the elders and, you know, well, let's have a look in the bank account. There were 600,000 RMB. Well, what's that for? And, you know, well, just for a rainy day. I said, well, it's raining tomorrow. We better get rid of it. Um, 600, you know, I mean, it was awful. So, you know, we spent that very quickly. We just got that out. You know, I, I, I didn't want that, that, that going on. And, and then just saying to the elders, well, you know, what is going on? You know, why are we here? Well, we're here to serve the people. I said, no, we're not. We're here to serve God. And that's what had been going on. They were a committee that was serving the group of people that turned up, which were expats. And so we, I got them into a place where we agreed that we would always have spirit-filled speakers, spirit-filled worship, um, and, and giving and, 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 and the place just transformed. Today that church has gone from 200 to 2,000. It's grown, multiplied. Um, the, but the big thing was when we got rid of the money, everybody was kind of panicking. So we just had a, had a giving. You know, our giving was awful for the type of people coming. So we spent a day looking at how we were going to give the money. And so we showed vision on how we were going to share them, you know, give, give give the money out and our giving went up tenfold. And so the principles about the whole thing about money is that this is not ours, it's God's. You know, and the more we give away, the more we all get filled up and, uh, you know, there were loads of ministries came out of, of that which were, were, were really great. And then when we were up in Beijing, we, um, we planted a little church in Beijing and, uh, the whole principles of that was was being family, and I'm sure it's very much like one of the things we 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 realised is that all that stuff that we just done, like you guys do here, we didn't realise we were trained to do that until we got to Shanghai, you know, and we were in that position where no one else could do it, and so it was really interesting that God had gone ahead and prepared us for that, and then the Beijing experience was probably one of my favorite experience of church is just being a small group of 50 that that just lived 24 7 together and really ministered to each other and we brought in some of some of the most um, broken people in Beijing expats Uh, I mean they were really broken and just saw them blossom in that time we had one family their children were an absolute nightmare they came in and just totally disrupted the whole place Uh, he was um I think he'd had a breakdown and um, he's a very qualified guy he spoke very good Mandarin Chinese and uh, he'd had a breakdown and uh, his wife was 
uh, you know, she just never said anything. She sat quietly, you know. And we just watched over time. Liz and I decided we would pray more Liz than me. She, and sometimes I it was up to here and we got to pray, you know. And, and so she, she was very um, organized in every week we prayed with this family and just saw them restored. And by the end, you know, the lady was given prophetic words and he then said, my father was a master flutist. When I had the breakdown, I'd put the flute away. He was also a flute player. And uh, anyway, we persuaded him to bring the flute out and play in the... And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was dancing around the room. It was phenomenal. And yet, that had all been locked away. And just in that time, being able to restore those people and bring them back. So I think, you know, as you're growing, looking at a whole CEO, corporation, pastor, family thing, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go big and be corporate like the West? And coming on to that, when I'm going to talk a little bit about, I've just come back from China and some of the discussions we had there. Or do you want to stay in that kind of 24-7 doing church together? You know, the family, the, the minister. And where does that grow to? And where does that have to change? Or how do you change it? I always wonder... I mean, I love a lot of the guys in America. I'm great friends with Louis Giglio. I go to his church. I think, how do they disciple these guys? It's like 20,000 people come in and they have a rave. They have a great time. It's wonderful. And then, you know, where are the home groups? Where are the house groups? And I, I just, you know, maybe they do it a different way. I don't know. Or they have a different calling. But, you know, for me, coming from the UK, we <laughs> we've never had that really experience of going to those massive churches so it just makes me wonder how you you know you move in that 30 minutes okay well maybe I'll just move on to um, well I'll tell you one of the mistakes I made this is quite a funny story Um, we uh, I'd always tell my my staff you know the only thing we do and this is what you know, vision-based budget is we place children in families, you know. So we don't do street children, we don't do HIVs, we do children in families. So, um, we got invited into North Korea through the Chi- North Korean government, uh, talked to the Chinese government and we went uh, to Pyongyang and started to talk to them and uh, uh, the second time I went, we were talking away and one of the guys said, you know, we always wanted to be in the Paralympic Games. And uh, so I had some guides with me, and that, I just found myself saying, oh, well, we'll help you do that. And they said, well, we want to take the team to London Paralympics. So I said, okay, we'll do that. And uh, they're all looking at me thinking, but you've always told us we only do families and <laughs> children in families, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, this is it, isn't it, you know. Bringing North Korea the first time ever into the, Paralymp- the World Paralympic Games. And it was the easiest sell. I raised the money in a week. Uh, so easy. Most of it came from America. Some Hong Kong, some from the UK. We raised the money, had a team. Suddenly they had a team of 25, which are like, who are all these, you know? And, you know, they had people who read the rules and someone to carry the flag and, and had physiotherapy and a doctor and it went on and on and on. Uh, so they had this team and they only had one athlete. <laughs> and this one athlete only had one arm and one leg. Um, and it was a swimmer. Um, so we, great, you know, 
This is it. North Korea in the Paralympic Games at London. Well, about three weeks before the Paralympic Games, BBC uh, Radio America asked to do an interview. And uh, so we're talking, and I'm all, again, you know, this is another India experience, I'm pumped up. North Korea coming into the Paralympics, and uh, they said, well, what do you think about the fact that he only learned to swim three weeks ago? No one told me that. <laughs> and inside I'm thinking that, but on the outside, wow, that makes it all the more exciting, doesn't it? But for three weeks I had nightmares that this guy, who'd only just learned to swim, was going to, you know, here we are at the Olympic stage, and he dives in, swims round and round and sinks, and it'll all be my fault, you know? And, and I was, oh, it was awful. Anyway, they all came over and we had a big dinner in, in London and all the North Koreans and all the British and different people, flags and everything and lovely dinner. So we thought we'd bring in some people from the West End show and they'd sing and they did, um, was it La Miserable and they were singing to them, you see. And just as they finished, then all the North Koreans got their guitars out and they started to sing Adel Voice. And I tell you, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever heard in my life, you know. Because they'd all learned to sing this song in the in preparation to come into England. And so, and then they decided to carry this. Paul goes in a wheelchair. Uh, we're going to have our photograph all the way down the stairs. They get to the top and these two guys lose control and the wheelchair falls down and she falls out. Yeah. Oh, she was all, fine. She was all right. She was really uh, angry with the men that had Dropped her. And I'm thinking tomorrow is my disaster day, you know. Here we go, this guy's going to dive in and he's going to drown and it's going to be all my fault at the Olympics. Well, we got there and I was watching on TV and I knew the guy who's holding him because he stood on one leg, of course, and there's a guy holding him and the gun goes off. The guy picks him up and throws him into the swimming pool. <laughs> you can't do that, you know. <laughs> little North Korean lad gets hurled in. And, and of course the cameras ignore it and, and just go with the, the front runners and they, they go all the way out and uh, you know everybody finished no sign of my my man you know he's, he's back they've all finished and and, and, a, and a clock's ticking away and it's ticking away and I think oh no he's drowned and then suddenly the whole stadium stand and there's this massive roar as he limps in about 26 seconds behind everybody else Thank goodness for that. And, and so, really just to come back to, you know, that whole bit, be sure in what you're doing and don't go outside of where God's called you. But I, well, the bit I was just going to share with you, um, which I think is absolutely fascinating, um, I've just been in China with Francis Chan and Dave Devonish. We had a great week and the whole idea was to go and get, go and find out what's going on with the Chinese church because there's lots of different stories going on about, you know, what's happening. And we just wanted to learn and listen. And so, you know, Francis didn't come to talk. He came really just to have meals and listen what's going on. So we went and saw some of my friends in Beijing and Shanghai and Wuhan and then in Kunming. And then we went and stayed for two nights, one night, two days in a little Yi minority village, which was just phenomenal. But... We got to Shanghai, and, and by this time, Francis had told me um, that, um, well, this is what he, 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 in November 2009, 
he felt God start to speak to him about the mega church. So he led a mega church. He was a bit of a superstar. He, you know, this is his words. Um, he had celebrity status. He was the pastor. Um, everybody came to him. Everything went through him. He'd become frustrated. Why couldn't I raise up leaders? Why couldn't, you know, why aren't people more passionate about, you know, Jesus? Um, and on Sunday, April the 18th, 2010, Francis Chan announced to his congregation that he felt called to resign from Cornerstone in the uh, Sim Valley to pursue what God had laid on his heart. And, and really what he was saying and feeling was that this church had got too big. That he got to a place where everything, people were coming to church, they'd become consumers. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to consume. They wanted to come to the family thing to get their family sorted out. And they weren't coming to hear about Jesus or have a relationship with Jesus. So he was just feeling really disillusioned about, you know, the stagnant of, of what he was seeing and in other churches. Maybe he felt that some churches were maybe up to 60% uh, were consumer Christians or not Christians at all. You know, maybe they hadn't ever accepted Jesus. Um, and so in this... Um, in this time he moved up to uh, San Francisco and he started a work um, back going back to uh, in his home in a house church and he, he started he built a relationship with a guy who just left prison and he said this guy had been in some pretty nasty stuff but he could see the leadership qualities in him and as he accepted Christ you know he saw a lot of that redemption and he, wanted, he just built a two year kind of discipleship with this guy and this was kind of like his prototype, his, his, you know, the, the first. And really what he was saying is now, he said, I'm going to be with you for two years. I'm going to disciple you guys, but then you've got to go. And and I, we want to go and see this house church. And I'm fascinated about what China's doing because it seems like China's got it right and, and we've got it wrong because, you know, if we're not discipling people, we're not raising leaders up, then what, what's the purpose of this huge thing? What's the purpose of this corporate, you know, big building church. Well anyway, we get to Shanghai and we meet this pastor. And it turns out in the same exactly the same month, exactly the same year, God started to speak to him about uh, this this church, this this stagnant church he had. So the history was that the revival that happened was in rural China and it was all in house churches, small groups and so they had a DNA because they had to have a DNA. They had to all read the Bible every day because this was our church. So you had to read Mark and remember it because we didn't know whether that Bible was going to get taken away tomorrow. So then you would read James and you would read John. And so between us, we would all read the Bible every day until we memorized it. And, and so there was this, this, this Bible thing. And then there was this fervent prayer that every day everybody read the Bible. Uh, uh, sorry, every day everyone prayed. There was prayer. Every day they expected miracles. Every single day they woke up and expected miracles. And every day everybody's responsibility was to go and tell someone else of the gospel. And so here was this church that were doing these things and the last one was they all rejoiced to God in their hardship. Mark, Mark talked a bit about that when he was sharing to, today. They rejoiced in their hardships. 
So this was the DNA of the old rural house church, small. And Shanghai had gone big, and it had gone huge, gone mega church. And the pastor had got celebrity status, and he got big. But he noticed that everything was going through him, and he couldn't raise up leaders, and he couldn't get disciples. And, and suddenly you saw what was happening in Shanghai was exactly what was happening down in L.A. These two pastors had come together. And they were sharing exactly the same thing that God was talking to them. And one month later, the government shut down this mega. Shanghai church was the biggest urban church, house church in China, and it was closed. And they honestly believed that God shut it, not the government. It was They had prophecies that it was coming. And so what they did from that is they scattered into 70 small house churches. And today... The pastor sitting there, he says, great. He said, every Friday I have 70 leaders. I meet with my 70 leaders. It's brilliant. Before, everything I had to think about and do. He said, now I have 70 leaders. We have 120 evangelists. We have people, we know that everyone, we've gone back to the old DNA. We started to realise we were wearing the Western clothes. We were running a Western church. We got a building. we become mega and we've gone back to the old DNA. So we even got rid of some of our clothes that we were wearing and the food that we were eating because we wanted to give glory in our hardship. And we're reading the Bible every day and we're praying every day and we're evangelizing every day and we're expecting miracles every day. And I just thought, wow, that is, for me, that was a, just a real privilege to be there in Shanghai when Francis was talking about Something that God spoke to him in 2009, November 2009, and God has spoke to Pastor Tway in Shanghai in November 2009. And exactly the same things, they've gone. And, and, and I don't know if that means anything to you, but it, it almost, something reminded me of Morris Nightingale, you know, when we first met Morris, he had this vision for a church in every village and town of Norfolk. And I think sometimes, you know, it's in us, in our culture, that we want to go big. Um, we want to, we want to, we want to do the big things that the world does, and we want to have the glamorous things that the world does. And, and and maybe what God is saying is, He wants us to be church. He wants us to be family. He wants us to do that 24/7. That we all know each other, and we, you know, when we're hurting, we, we we're there for each other. And, and I think we're right at time. Right? So I, that, 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 that was kind of what really brought me back. Uh, sometimes that, you know, we're talking about a vision-based budget. Um, we could end up coming back to the fact that we can get too big. We can become, you know, this mega church that maybe doesn't, I don't know. I, I don't know if that works or not. You, you guys probably know more than I do as church planters. I think we got. We should have time for questions and answers. So maybe spend some time with some questions. When you uh, so when you talked a lot about the Bible, did you right? You talked about sowing vision in order to raise finances. You, you sow the vision and you don't ask. If, if you, when, when you're sowing the vision. What kind of things are you thinking? I want to get passionate for us, yes, but like what, do you know what I mean? Are you 
thinking of, is it the set vision that you have every time when you think of, like, I'm trying to connect with this person and... Yeah, I mean, my, my stories are the same, you know, I mean, I think, and yours will be the same. You want, tran- you know, you're looking at transformation of people. And so, you know, if you're church planting, you're transforming uh, people from the world into the kingdom. For me, what I'm, what I'm talking about is transforming children's lives, because I believe as well that uh, there's an order, there's a creative order to God, and when you start to restore some of that creative order in a nation, that actually it has huge impact. That once people start to do, put back the order of what God, I mean it's a bit like our, our nation, the UK, we're, we're in a mess. And it's gonna need someone to start the restoring that to see God move. And, and I think that when I went on to CCTV once, and, uh, 500 million viewers, and the, 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 the interviewer kept asking me the same question. I think he was a Christian. But why do you do it? And in the end I said, because God made the family for children. And, and the kind of studio went, <laughs> oh, we mentioned the God word. And then someone, yeah, yeah, and everybody understood that. It's a simple principle. God made the family for children. And so sometimes I think what we have to do is speak truths into those things. And when we do that, that as part of our vision, people go, yeah, I'm with you on that. I understand that. I can't do that, but I want to support you. I want to journey with you to see that happen. So I think you've got to show them where people, where the situation is and what you're going to do to change it. And, they, and, and, and on that journey, you will, those people who are unable to give the time that you are will want to support what you do. Does that make sense? So I guess I was kind of thinking, do you, would you word your vision exactly the same when you're talking to Van, uh, Richard Branson or the Chinese government as you just did then to us? Yeah. You'd say you're just yeah. uncompromising with it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because they either think you're you know, a crackpot or, yeah, there's something there. Or somewhere in between, and you know, um, the, the, I think it's not to be fearful of that, of truths. I think not to be fearful of truths, and you know, people like the government guy. You know, he made jokes about me, but when we got the boat over, they were all Christians. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a great, great guy who I pinched from the YMCA. And uh, every morning he prays in Jesus' name over the, over the accounts, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we just lock him in a cupboard and he prays there for about an hour over all the... Uh, he is such an amazing guy. Amazing guy. And me, uh, yeah, we struggle sometimes. We... Because, you know, no, no, you can't go there. Yes, yes, I can. No, 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 no. There's this jostling goes on. But we've got mutual respect for each other. So, you know, we, we all, visionaries need those people. You know, you need an operations person. You need a finance person. I don't want to touch the finances. I want someone else to do that. I just tell them when I need some more money. And he goes to God. Yeah. But, you know, that's the other deal, you know. It often doesn't come when we expect it, you know. 
So we're often in the 11th hour, but that's really good, isn't it? Because it kind of gets everybody, builds up the faith and, and, and gets everybody. It's much better when it comes in the 11th hour and everybody, yes, you know, when, if, it, if we had it all made for us. And so a lot of, a lot of, our, a lot of people actually hold, um, what do you call, they have, um, reserves. We never have reserves. We never have reserves. We, we spend our money. Trustees want reserves, but I don't know. No, no. We're about 2.5 million budget this year. Yeah. So it can be scary, but you know, nearly 20 years, 17, 8 years now. God, we've never gone without. You know? Probably, I don't know, 30, 40 million pounds. We've never gone without. Sorry? So you're still meeting the needs of the people who are, who are top vulnerable and poor. Absolutely. I'm looking at the point where um, you got the, you have this vision of church planting, but yet at the same time God is giving you another a vision which is going to work alongside the church planting, which has to do with the community, um, helping like still treat children and those who are vulnerable. And get them back into into, into into normal life and at homes or, or families, mm. you know. And um, more or less, um, you know, you're looking at how 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 is this going to work? Yeah. How is it going to work? How we, how we, how we're going to bring everything together? And you know how you know the finances going you know in supporting that the people want to work. But one thing he said is that as long as it's you know which I'm holding, one thing he said that is that um, as long as it's the vision of God. Well, that's what God has come to do. Yeah. You yes, go back to, yeah. this is God's vision, we rely upon him. And and sometimes, I, do, I have to remind myself of that, not so much, but I have to certainly remind my staff and, some, and, and quite often remind my trustees, whose vision is it? Yeah. Whose vision is it? And, you know, if it's not God's vision, let's all go home. Yeah. <laughs> Wasting our time. Really are. And, and for me, you see, it's not just about the money. For me, money is no different to people or, you know, it's a resource that we've got to use. And I think people are probably a much, the capacity of people is much more important than, than money. Um, and, and making sure that you're going in the right direction, you know. I think I shared, you know, we've got, going ahead of us, we've got four countries and I just, I don't want to go into any of those four countries until I've heard from God. You know, I've got the US government want to fund one, I've got the British government want to fund the other, and UNICEF want to fund the other two. But in all that secure, that's not secure to me. You know, UNICEF money's not secure to me. Uh, US government's money not secure. I want to hear from God, you know. If God says, right, that's the country, then you can go in and know three years down the road you haven't made a mistake, you know. And that's the assurance. That is really the assurance. It's, it's, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus, you know. It, it yeah. really is. So if God says a country that we don't have any funding with, he'll, he'll choose. If God says it, that's the country. It doesn't matter whether the funding's there or not. That's the scary thing when we're all grabbing on and going, Because he said, no, I think God said this country, we're going there. But that has to be, doesn't it? That comes back to that day before I went to China and I walked the 
cliffs of Guernsey and I saw the sea up against the rock I mean these massive cliff rocks and the sea smashing against it and the power of God and thinking wow God's more powerful than that then you know let's not be 45% 65% 85% we 100% or nothing it's all in when God says go you go and it's 100% you've got to go and when you do that oh people love to go with you people love to go with you because there's a ton of people out there got a ton of money who don't know what to do with it and, and, and are looking for a visionary that they can get behind yeah so how, how do you always find uh, found, uh, teams around you to work out the pistol because you've been casting the pistol you've been given contacts to, to start things but then still there's a lot to be done so how yeah, we have we have a strategy meeting every three years where we sit down with the main players, the stakeholders, and uh, our trustees. And then I've developed a new group which are called um, uh, like a council of reference. Now these are this is quite an interesting thing because trustees at the end of the day don't normally have uh, um, well it's the other way around. Wealthy people, high net worth people, don't have time to sit on your board as trustees. They really don't, because they're busy people. They're running their own businesses and they're doing things. So I set this thing up called One Day for Orphans. And I asked all these people who love what we do and donate to us, give us one day of your year. Just just all we need is one day. And these high net worth people come in. One day, the first year we had it in um, uh, in London... This year we're having it in Chiang Mai. And we bring in all these high net worth people and we just spend time and, and go through the ideas, influence, uh, investment and uh, intercessors and really just get them to look at those things. One day, that's all we need. Some of these guys are running billion dollar companies. And I suddenly realise you're never going to engage with them at a trustee level because they don't want to be reading your accounts, you know. It's just, I can't, you know, it's just too much for me. And the fact that you might actually go down, you know, well, I don't want to be responsible for that. So, you know, trustees are usually guys like your mics, are good, strong, steady guys. They're local, they've got time, they can invest in it, they know where you're going, and they're going to walk with you. And these, these, these billionaire type people, you know, they, they, they just don't have the time. So, one day, just give me one day and come in. And then they spin off each other, you know. You've got a Hong Kong tycoon, an American, and a Singaporean, and a Chinese, and a British, and a French. And suddenly these guys are coming together, and they're actually enjoying what's going on. And they're kind of a bit one-upmanship as well, you know. Well, I, I can do this. Well, if you're going to do that, I'll do this, you know. Yeah. You, pl- you play, play them, you know. Uh, um, so. Yeah. And it's not always about money. Last year was what came out of it. Why aren't you partnering with all the, the these organisations with money? So that's why we're talking to UNICEF now and to USAID and DFID, all these people that have money and don't know where to give it and we have the ability to do what they need to do. And, and so, you know, it wasn't last year all about just give us money. Someone came up with this idea. Well, UNICEF have tons of money. You've got great programs. Why don't you... Well, we don't know how to connect with them. Well, I know the head of... You, you know, done. Influence. You know, ideas. Bang. Lock it in. 
So next week I'm going to be in New York with UNICEF talking about these other countries. Well, you fund it, we'll go and do it. You know? And, they're, they're, and, and we've got lots of Christian billionaires that come in and, you know, they want to make a difference. You know, they want to invest their money in the kingdom. It was a billionaire. He got a private jet, a private yacht, private this, private that. He's huge. A man, you know the song? My old man's a dustman, he wears a dustman's hat, he wears gold blimey trousers, and he lives in the council fat. And he said, I like you. He said, come on, have dinner with me. And his job was he has, he has refuge, he collects the ten biggest cities in, in, in America. And each one is worth like two billion dollars, you know, and he, and you go back and he's got, he's got more, more money than he knows what, you know, he's got sense, you know. But that takes time as well, because you've got to disciple him then. He, you know, he's a Christian and he's hanging on to all this money and saying, and so I took him, took him to Hong Kong. He could not believe it. He's a, he's a proper sort of tenor, he's from Tennessee and he got to Hong Kong. He, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Who built all these bridges out here? You see, have the Americans been out here? You know, he was like, what's going on? I thought Hong Kong was a fishing village. <laughs> we took him into China and he said, this is ridiculous. Where's all the trucks? He said, in America, I'm always driving behind trucks. There's no trucks in China. So the guy says, well, all the, all the trucks, the lorries, they have to drive in at night time. Why isn't that just a good idea? We should do that in America. <laughs> I can't believe it. No trucks in China? They drive at night time, we should get our trucks. <laughs> he is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Let's pray. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to go. Father, we just thank you uh, um, for what you do and for your heart and your vision for the poor. We thank you that you are a God, a Father who loves the orphan and, and loves to set those orphans in families. And uh, Father, we, we thank you for all those strategic, those high net worth people that have that burden of carrying the, the, the finances. And Lord, we just pray even uh, today that you release some of those people and their fu- funding to some of this church network planting, Lord. I just pray even just one, Lord, that we would... Uh, find one that would come in and get behind what's going on. Uh, I'm just so thrilled, God, to come to this church planning conference and to see what's happening across the nations of Europe and uh, just to see the worship and experience and be with these people. Just amazing what has happened in, in a sh- such a short time. So, Father, I just pray that you will release many, many resources so many, many more uh, uh, church plants can happen in lots of countries across Europe. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.